How do you know when a promise is trust, trustworthy? How do you know when someone's promise to you is, is a sure thing? What do you do when you find yourself in a situation when you're beginning to question the truth of the promise? These are some questions we'll be looking at today. And we're going to close with something I want to tell you about a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament that I promise you, if you're paying attention, you will never forget for the rest of your life. We're continuing today our sermon series called Family Tree. We're looking at what God began in one particular family in the ancient world. Everything begins somewhere, and so one of the questions we're asking ourselves throughout this whole series is, what can God begin with you? We're looking at what God began in the life of a man named Abram. You know him in history as Abraham, but we're not yet to the point of the story when he gets a name change. So far, it's just Abram. And he's a man who was living in the middle of the desert, and one day, for no reason outside of God's own purposes, God came alongside of him and said, Abram, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and from your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. All you have to do is trust me and leave your home and your family and your father's household and go to where I'm taking you. And Abraham believed, and he followed. But time passed, and it began to seem as if God wasn't going to go keep his promise. What do you do when you're in a place in which it's not just any promise you're worried about, but the promise of God himself? How do you know God is trustworthy? This is what happens in Genesis chapter 15. After God has made his promise to Abram and they've had some adventures together, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I have remained childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. You'll have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And Abram said again, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? In other words, Lord, how can I know your promise is trustworthy? The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Then you need to pay attention to this. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. 
the land of the Kenites, Kenesites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. And I have been to seminary. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. God, take my words this morning and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. And then take our hearts and light them up with the fire of faith in you and the faith that our world so desperately needs. This is what we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation in which somebody made a promise and it, your circumstances called you to call that promise into question? Have you ever been somewhere, somebody had made a promise in the past, now you're at a place in the present and you're wondering, is the promise a valid promise? Can that person be trusted? We make promises in different ways. Sometimes we just use our very words alone to make a promise. There's a great line in the movie Jerry Maguire where one of the dads of this hot football prospect says to Jerry, Jerry, what you have is my word and it's stronger than oak. And then he breaks his word later in the movie. But it's a great line. In our culture today, we often make promises by contracts. We sign our name and that ensures that we are faithful. But people still break their contracts. But even in our everyday relationships, we sometimes find ourselves in places where we're wondering if what somebody told us and promised to us is reliable or faithful. Can we build on it? We had an example like this this past week in my family. It was my son's time to go to the doctor for his wellness checkup. The long and short of the checkup, and hear the whole story so don't freak out, is that apparently my son is officially blind since he failed the vision test. Okay. We had told him beforehand that he didn't need to be afraid to go to the doctor because he said he was afraid. And we said, why are you afraid? He said, because they're going to poke my eyes. Now, I don't know where he heard that. I've never been to the doctor where they poke your eyes. It doesn't happen. He doesn't know anything about doctors anyway, but somehow that's what he got in his mind. We said, no, the doctor is there to help you. They're nice. They love kids. Our doctor has little kids. There's nothing to worry about. They're not going to mess with your eyes at all. It'll be okay. So he goes to the doctor, and they check him out and bang on his knees and all the things they do to little kids. And then it was time for his vision test. Well, they don't poke your eyes to give you a vision test. You know that, right? But they do put some things on your face and some little things you have to look through. It's totally not painful at all. My son, however, was at the point where he looks up and just you can see him saying, I thought you loved me. I thought I trusted you. And here we are in the torture chamber with the doctor. <laughs> Needless to say, he failed his vision test. He was too squirmy, and so now he's officially blind, which we'll remind him of when he gets older. He's fine, of course, but he was at the point where he panicked in the middle of what we had already told him was going to be the case, and he didn't trust our word anymore. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Your circumstances cause you to call into question what somebody had promised you. I remember when I was in fifth grade, there was an end-of-the-year pool party that all the kids were invited to. And this girl in our class had like this sixth-grade boyfriend who gave her a ring as his sign of enduring affections towards her. And this other boy in my class, I don't know how he knew this, he was in fifth grade, but he said, you should go take the ring, it had like a little stone on it, and see if you can scratch the mirror. But apparently when she went and did that, the mirror scratched the ring, which caused her whole party to be ruined, and she was in tears because she didn't trust the guy who gave her a fake ring. She's in fifth grade. But you know, the same situation happens to us in our lives of faith. We find ourselves in certain situations, 
And we wonder, is God still faithful? Is what has been promised still going to be fulfilled? God promises to be with you, but if you're honest this morning, you feel really alone. You began the steps towards sobriety, and you feel like God's calling you to that. But you know the first steps, and the second, and the third, each one is difficult in its own way. And you wonder, well, is God going to be with me through this journey or not? Or you, you flip on the headlines and you see the destruction caused by weather patterns and tornadoes. And you wonder, well, if God is good, then why would this happen? There are times in all of our lives, even if we're believers, even if we have believed in the past, that our current circumstances cause us to call into question whether or not we can trust the promises of God. And that's exactly the situation that Abram found himself in. Genesis 12, Abram hears God say to him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But the time begins to pass, and his wife still can't conceive. And so in Genesis 15, God comes to Abram again. Time has passed, and God wants to remind Abram of the promise. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and this is what God says. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram has some honest and pretty obvious questions about God's promise. And he says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. It's pretty hard to imagine how God can make somebody into a great nation that from their descendants all the peoples of the world will be blessed and they can't have any children of their own. Abram has even gone to the point where he's taken a servant in his household, his chief servant, and made him the primary heir to inherit when he goes. This is a situation in which so many of us find ourselves from time to time. In fact, I'd say all of us find ourselves in this situation from time to time. God has made a promise to us. We, we began the journey of faith. We joined a church. We were baptized. We got married. We had children. Whatever it is, something began. We felt God was beginning something good, and then over time, we just wonder, well, where are you? Is your word good or not? God, can I trust you or not? And isn't that, isn't that really the question? All the difficult stuff in Scripture really just hinges on whether we can trust God or not. If God is trustworthy, then all the rest will work out. If he's not trustworthy, then all the rest is a lie. What do we do when our doubts arise from our circumstances? I think we should follow the practice of Abram. Abram first begins by voicing his doubts honestly to God. It is so important to me that this congregation be a place of honesty. Please hear it from me. You never have to be, pretend to be something you're not. You don't have to try to agree even if you don't. I think God really honors and values honest questioning. and can really use it. Now, when we have doubts, we have to be honest about them. We have to really want them to be resolved. I know some people who ask questions just so that they won't have to worry about the thing that comes at next. We have this type of person in my household, and it happens every night when he's supposed to go to bed. Why is the thunder, Daddy? Why is the bed here, Daddy? Why do I have to go to bed, Daddy? Little kids ask why questions, but when my son is asking those wise questions at 8.45 in the evening, do you know what he wants? Not to go to bed, not not to know the answer. I have a friend who's a, a pastor, 
in Virginia in a relatively small rural church. He has four little girls at home, and so money's always tight. And so the way they go on vacation is my friend sits through all the presentations he can about timeshares and condos and other places so he can get the free vacation. And he'll ask questions in the meeting, even though he has zero idea of saying yes. He's just being polite. Now, if we come to God with those sorts of doubts or questions that are really more about hearing ourselves talk than about hearing a response, I think those are very difficult for God to use. But I'm talking about the honest questions that come up deep from inside when your circumstances don't seem to match the promise that God had given you in the past. And like Abram, I believe when we ask those questions honestly to God, God can use them for something great. Abram says, God, how can I know you're trustworthy when I still don't have any children? Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, as in the servant you've picked, will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. In other words, I'm going to give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It's one of the central verses of scripture. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram's in a certain situation. There had been a promise made to him by God. It seems like the promise can't possibly be fulfilled. Then he asks God about it. And what happens? Nothing in his external circumstances change. And yet Abram's heart is changed. Sometimes we think that faith is only possible when we have it all figured out in our minds or everything works or all the dominoes are in a, roll, in a row. But I know from my own life, faith comes as a gift from God. And there are times in my life and when nothing external changes and nothing intellectually changes, but emotionally, I know that God is in control and he can be trusted. This is the central act of faith and this is what begins to happen with Abram. God says, Abram, I can be trusted. Look at the stars in the sky. That is what I'm going to do. And Abram believes the Lord. Because the word of the Lord itself can convince and convict us. Which is why if you're not a believer, you find it so frustrating sometimes to talk to your believing friends. Because they might explain this or explain that, but there ultimately gets to a point in which they say, I don't know. I just believe. And you know that if you are a believer, sometimes you get to that point with your friends and you, you use all the explanations and all the arguments and then there's a point in which you say, I don't know, I just believe. Abram believes God and it's reckoned to him as righteousness. But the trustworthiness of God doesn't just lie on who God is, it lies on what God does. We make an agreement either by writing a contract or by shaking hands or by people knowing we're trustworthy over time. They had a different way of making agreements in the ancient world and it is this agreement which they call a covenant which gives an insight to the way in which we can trust God. And it happens like this. After God has shown Abram the stars in the sky and Abram begins to trust God again, the Lord says, verse 9, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. Each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, 
Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then verse 17. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. What happens there is one of the most fundamental insights in all of the scripture about who God is. But you and I miss it. Because we don't speak ancient Hebrew, we speak in English. And in English, we say you make a covenant. But in ancient Hebrew, you don't make a covenant, you cut a covenant. You cut a covenant. This is what it looks like. take some young animals. Kate told me to go down to the fiesta and get some pig heads, but I refused. When you cut a covenant in the ancient world as a way of showing that you're trustworthy, you take some young animals, a heifer, a goat, and you sacrifice them and cut them in half. And you spread them out. And this is what's happening in Genesis 15. And then the two parties that are going to enter into covenant together, they walk through the middle of the sacrifices. And what they're saying is, may this be done to me if I don't uphold my end of the bargain. May I become like these slaughtered animals if I don't prove trustworthy. At the first service, one of the guys who's a lawyer said, I didn't learn that in law school. That's a pretty good way of sealing a deal. But do you see what happens in the scripture with Abram? Abram's put into this deep sleep and he has this visionary, mystical experience with God. And through the middle of the animals comes a flaming pot and a flaming torch. These mysterious words in Hebrew that are meant to signify the presence of God himself. But you know who doesn't walk through the middle of the animals in the covenant made with Abram? Abram. It is only God himself who walks through. God's saying, I'm going to uphold my end of the bargain, and I'm going to uphold yours as well. God never breaks his promises, even if it kills him. Now, there's parts of the vision given to Abram about 400 years in slavery in Egypt, and Sometimes we're in the situations in which it seems difficult to believe that God can be trusted and we can build our lives on the truth and surety of his word. But all the time, God was working to bring about blessing and redemption. God has said to Abraham, through you, Abraham, I will make a great nation. Through your family, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. But it took a long time. It didn't happen in Abraham's lifetime or in his son Isaac or his grandson Jacob or in the foundation of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
It wasn't until a little teenage virgin got pregnant. And that young man grew up and was ultimately crucified. That the covenant that was made with Abram began to make sense to God's people. St. Augustine says that the Old Testament is like a dark room, barely lit. And we need the light of Christ to shine into it to show us how things are. For hundreds of years, the covenant God made with Abram must have seemed so mysterious. What kind of God makes the covenant and takes all the penalty on himself? But we know what kind of God it is. God never breaks promises even if it kills him. One of the things this means, as Tim Keller likes to say, is that we cannot possibly claim that all religions are the same. There is no other faith claim that is audacious and is mysterious as this one. See, most religions, the way they work is that we prove ourselves to God. We're moral, we're good people, and then God owes us and gives us some kind of eternal reward. In the Christian faith, it's the exact opposite. God proves himself to us ultimately at the cost of his own life. What does John 3.16 say, the famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And because of what God is, has done for us, we have value. And all the peoples of the world are valuable because God made a covenant with Abram and has upheld his end of the bargain. Maybe you're here today and you're in a situation and you're just wondering, can I trust God? The answer to those questions is always about Jesus. If you're wondering whether you can trust God, you need to look back to Jesus. And if you're wondering who Jesus is and whether he's trustworthy, I encourage you to start investigating that and answering those questions. If you're wondering how God can be with people in places of difficulty, we think of Jesus, who in the garden himself didn't want to go to the cross, but knew it was what faithfulness to the covenant required. If you're wondering how God can be with people even when they suffer, I point you back to the cross, to Jesus. If you wonder how God can be with people even when they lose everything in a tornado or through a storm or through some other, some other catastrophe, I point you back to Jesus. God never breaks his promises even if it kills him. One of the things this means then is that the people called Christians ought to be people who will do anything Spare no expense, bear any burden that love requires. It means that one of the things the people called Christians do is that they say, regardless of circumstances, we believe God can be trusted and his way is the right way. And one of the things the people called Christians do is they go to people in the world who are trying to find their value in so many other things. And we say, we believe you have value. Because God made a covenant with Abram, and God never breaks his promises, even if it kills him. And because of what God has done, you're valuable. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to be a certain type of person. All you have to do is trust God, as Abram did in Genesis 6, and it's credited to, to us and to you as righteousness. Here's, like, here's what I'd like you to do this week. I'd like you to think about this promise. Think about in your circumstances right now where you are and ask the hard questions. Where I am right now, can God be trusted? Is his word faithful? I want you to ask those questions honestly and I want you to think back to the example of Christ on the cross 
Let's see what God does with those honest questions. One of the things I believe is worth building your life on is the absolute concrete surety that God's promises can be trusted, that God never breaks a promise even if it kills us. And I'm grateful for the fact that we can see the benefit of hindsight in history, how God has been working and continues to work. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As I mentioned before, we're taking up an offering today. Uh, 